to Welcome to Westview. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about the first episode of WandaVision. Yes, so WandaVision came out last Friday and we loved it. We loved it so much. By the way, this is going to be a spoilery podcast, so... Now, yes, this is going to be a spoilery podcast. We've only seen what's been released on Disney+, Plus, mm-hmm. so we will spoil up to what's been released on Disney+. Plus. And we're going to be talking about theories. Right. So things that might have appeared in the comics or things that we might have sussed out by virtue of reading the comics, that'll come up. So there might be spoilers, but they're they're at this point just guesswork. We've only seen the first two episodes. We've got theories, though. It's the thing I hear from everyone who watches the show. I've got theories. I've got theories. Yes. uh, We have a friend who is kind of an expert in Marvel Comics. We have several friends who fit that description, including you, Max. But we have a friend who is literally, like, writing the book on Marvel Comics right now. And when a new MCU property comes out, he does this thing on Facebook where people can ask him questions about how this new property relates to the comics and he'll answer them. And his thread on WandaVision was a lot of, I I don't know where they're going with this. (laughs) I have no idea. I've got theories, but I don't know. Okay, we're kind of running off the theory that this series is primarily based off of the second uh, Vision Scarlet Witch series, A Year in the Life, though. Yes, that is true. Although even even the very premise of this series doesn't match the premise of that series. Yeah. which This is really clearly going to be its own thing. I feel like this is closer to movies like Pleasantville and Stay Tuned than it is to... Anything that's shown up in Marvel, but I love it. I love it so much so far. I love it so much that when we were done watching, I turned to Max and said, do you want a podcast about this? Which I definitely do. The Vision and Scarlet Witch, let me amend that, the Scarlet Witch and the whole Max Moth family is aggressively my jam. If you follow me on uh, Tumblr, where I do uh, Waiting for the Trade, aka Waiting for the Tea, or if you follow me on Twitter at, you know, a mad cartoonist, I, I, I created the Twitter account when AVX was coming out. I was not, I, I was really angry back then. I'm less angry now, but I've had the Twitter. I should have just made a new Twitter, but. You know, you can change your handle. I might do that. But uh, yeah, uh, the Max Ma family is aggressively my jam. I've never been a huge MCU person, he said, as someone who's seen most of the MCU movies, although not the TV shows in general, but, like, the MCU is fine. So, my issue, personally, with the MCU, and I like certain movies, I'm not all in on it, but I like certain movies, my thing with it is that the -the off-the-wall soap opera-ness that I love about the comics doesn't really translate to the movies, which tend to just be action movies. It's like reading a whole comic of splash pages. And some people might be into that. Lots of people, clearly. But Mm. that's not my jam. So the MCU movies don't do it for me as much as, well, this, this is doing it for me. And also, Agent Carter. So sad that only got two seasons. That was a great show. Yeah, yeah. But... Yes, that is the issue with the MCU. A lot of these relationships don't super feel earned. And there are a lot of... We should get ahead of this right now. There are a lot of problems with the MCU's portrayal of Wanda Maximoff. Well, so we're just going to talk about the biggest problem here, which is obviously a problem, despite how well-written I feel like this series is, which is the whitewashing of Wanda Maximoff. Yeah. Wanda in the comics is Romani and Elizabeth Olsen is is not. Is not. <laughs> yeah, they should have found a Romani actress. I understand <laughs> why they felt like it was safe not to. I'm I don't think it was a good thing. I want to be very clear about that. I think they should have found a Romani actress. But I also feel like this is one of the places where they safely assumed that the decision wouldn't be criticized and it wasn't really in any mainstream way oh you mean because there's already such bad romani representation that it's not even on people's radar yeah and also because a casual reader 
of Marvel Comics might not even be aware of her backstory. And even though I feel, I'm sorry, <laughs> even though I feel like every time the Scarlet Witch shows up, like half of the issue of whatever issue she shows up in is dedicated to her recounting her backstory. I've read her backstory like 20 times. That was just in a year in the life. Well, no, and also in the Avengers yeah, and, and, and other things. In everything, but it's one of the things. I, I, lo- I love a year in the life, even though it has some, speaking of problematic elements, it has a lot of problematic elements from the era the era it comes from and also it's which is the 80s by the way year in the life was from 1985 but also it's supposed to be homaging old sitcoms right that's that's part of the reason why i feel comfortable saying wandavision is based off of that series because that series is an homage to old sitcoms but i'm sorry i kind of fell off track here i think one of the reasons i felt like they also thought they could get away with it is how influx her paternity is that's true because there have been periods of time in marvel continuity where she was not romani when she was the uh daughter of ms america i'm sorry miss america and the wizard she had two white parents then for a while magneto was sort of the thing was his his wife Magda was Romani. I feel like it's pretty locked in and in, in people's minds, even though her history has been retconned so many times. I feel like in people's minds it's pretty locked in that her parentage is Magda and Magneto. Yeah. E- even though that, as you say, hasn't always been the case in the comics. Yeah. And the thing was, people really didn't know what Magda's deal was for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think that her being uh, Romani only really comes up in like this one mini series. But it is canon. But yes, this was our biggest our biggest issue is that they cast Elizabeth Olsen, who is great, but they should have found a Romani actress. It sucks that they didn't. Yep. Paul Bettany's fine. The vision is like a white dude wrapped in a different white dude. It's fine. <laughs> oh, so let's talk about this episode. This is episode one, which is titled episode one. Mm-hmm. But I think for the purposes of our show, we'll call it Welcome to Westview. Welcome to Westview. Yes. This uh- episode was directed by Matt Shakeman mm-hmm. and written by Jack Schaefer who is the showrunner for the entire show. Excellent. And she is the writer slash director of one of my all-time favorite movies, Timer, which I feel bad even mentioning, even putting it out into the ether that this is an amazing movie that you should watch if you haven't watched, because it is impossible to find it anywhere it's not even available for purchase on dvd it's not streaming anywhere i'm really hoping that this show gets really successful and then they reissue timer so one of the things leading up to this show was a lot of people hating on it because the internet and sure mcu in general because if anything is popular enough it you know develops backlash but one of the main criticisms is, okay, who is legitimately excited for WandaVision after, you know, it's just going to be another piece of MCU paint-by-numbers schlock. And I'm like, oh, it's it's an adaptation of one of my favorite stories, featuring my favorite characters, showrun by the director of my wife's favorite movie, which I also enjoy. I, I, I enjoy Timer. But, like, there's a lot of good stuff going in. Whoever is behind the camera does matter. Yeah. Even in the MCU where there is sort of a formula you are forced to follow, which this show doesn't. The thing is about this, I feel like we don't really need... We should actually talk about the show now. Yes. But before we do, just a little, (laughs) little more. I feel like we don't really need to catch you up on what new lore was established for the Vision and the Scarlet Witch in... The MCU. I don't think you need to know anything other than what is in the first episode saga cell. So. She's a witch. He's a synthesoid. Which is not a robot. Which is not a robot. It's like a robot, but it's not. And they are together. Yes, they are married. 
And a saga cell, for those of you who are not aware, is when an opening theme song sings the premise of the TV show. And the first episode opens with a saga cell theme song, but it is not the theme song for WandaVision. It doesn't show up in the second episode. They have a totally different credit sequence. I love this show. I, I, I'm hoping... It, it's probably going to be a thing following throughout. Yes, because each episode is kind of riffing on a different sitcom, so... I feel like, yes, there's going to be different opening credits in every episode. I'm just suspecting that. So the episode properly opens with the... Uh, theme song, The Saga Cell. The Saga Cell. As uh, Wanda and the Vision drive through town, they have just entered a town called Westview, where, as an apparently newlywed couple, uh, they are... They're, they're moving in. They are moving into the suburbs. To live a regular, quiet, normal life. They... Do this super cute thing. The living room in the first episode is just a recreation of the Petri's living room from the Dick Van Dyke show. And in the place where the ottoman is that Dick Van Dyke trips over in the opening credits, there is a chair sitting. But because the Vision's power, one of his powers is to phase through objects, he just walks through it instead of tripping over it. It's great. I love this show. So I didn't really watch the Dick Van Dyke show a ton. I've seen a few episodes of it to catch little things. Mm-hmm. I It really feels to me like the first two episodes are riffs on Bewitched. The opening episode has a lot of Dick Van Dyke in it in that it is an office sitcom and it's the... I mean, the setup looks like the Dick Van Dyke show. Well, and the plot this episode is the Vision trying to impress his boss. And there is a disastrous dinner party, which was... Much more of a thing on the Mary Tyler Moore show, but Laura Petrie on Dick, on the Dick Van Dyke show did have uh, her own share of disastrous dinner parties. For those of you who aren't in the know, uh, Mary Tyler Moore also played Laura Petrie. Right. Before moving on to her own show where she was a single girl in the city and they had to go through pains to make sure that you, the audience, knew that she was not Laura Petrie who had left Rob. What's interesting, and I'm jumping ahead here now to episode two, Mm -hmm. but there was a whole thing where Mary Tyler Moore wanted to wear slacks and they wanted to let her wear slacks. And there was an argument about whether or not it was right and proper for Laura Petrie to wear slacks or whether she had to wear these big A-line dresses. And here in episode one, Wanda is wearing an A-line dress like Laura Petrie might have worn. And in episode two... She is wearing slacks, and it is commented on. Mm, yes. So, just... It, which also, I should save it for the next episode, but it does also remind me of Bewitched, when Samantha can wear pants around the house, but not in public. Yes, we were just watching an episode today where... We were watching Bewitched, and we were watching an episode where Sam is wearing, like, cigarette pants and a men's oversized button-up shirt. Mm-hmm. and she has to leave and Gladys is like oh you're not gonna leave the house dress like that are you and I'm like okay if I left the house looking like that that would be one of my classier <laughs> outfits oh the past is a different country yes so Vision walks into the kitchen as Wanda is floating some plates across the room the plate smashes him in the head and they both have a little chuckle because you know he's he's indestructible she makes things float they're a couple it's cute Yes, and of course, she's able to use her magic to put everything back together. This scene, and honestly, this whole episode, has them exchanging typical sitcom banter, but about the MCU. So she asks him what he wants for breakfast, and he comments that he doesn't eat because he's a synthesoid, and she laughingly says, well, that explains why there's nothing in the refrigerator. Okay. I want to give them so much credit for how they get the cadence of this sort of show down because I, I, I read an interview where they talked about working with dialect coaches and working with his, historians to make sure that they got the sort of not not just uh, not just the language but the way in which it's delivered. Mm, yes, that's true. That's important. And when period pieces fail, I feel like that's one of the reasons they do. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just saying the right words. It's, there is a different way comedic performances were done. Mm -hmm. There is a different tone. Sort of, 
the pacing is different in this sort of show and they do a really good job recreating that i feel like these first two episodes really benefit from watching them straight off watching some older tv yes to prepare for wandavision max and i just sat down and marathoned our way through the first two seasons of bewitched and it really emphasized how spot on this show is and and growing up i was one of the nerdy kids who really really loved nick at night and was like oh yeah my favorite show is the patty duke show so this this brand new tv show is evoking all sorts of nostalgia in me yes so wanda notices a heart on their calendar drawn on that day and the two of them it's very cute. It does lean on a chemistry the Marvel movies hadn't really established between these two, where they're having a little, I, I kind of want to call it a faux argument about the heart, where both of them are pretending to remember what it stands for and accusing the other one of not, but it's very playful. It works so well, and God, this establishes the relationship so much better than anything we'd seen in the Marvel movies before this. I know. But I also want to point out the importance of this in that it's a cute dialogue, it's cute banter, but underneath it is the disturbing thing that neither of them knows why that heart is drawn there. And Vision is incapable of forgetting things, but he doesn't remember why that heart is there. Yeah, and they turn it into a joke. Uh, this whole episode is really played on two levels and i love how low-key the sinisterness is here because it's manifesting through hokey sitcom jokes him talking about how oh i can't forget anything my memory is perfect and her being like oh then what's it mean then and he's like oh I, I, blah, blah, blah. this this is also getting a lot of mileage out of uh, paul bettany being british he is so charming and as he leaves the house, Wanda reminds him to magically transform his face so that he looks human and not like a synthesoid to fill us in, the audience, that Wanda and the Vision are pretending to be normal humans here in this world. In the miniseries that this show is drawing from, mm -hmm. as opposed to based on. Yes. They are known entities. People know that they are a mutant witch and a synthesoid and Avengers and people there are not happy with that. Yeah, it's not a great metaphor for racism. The, the, the Vision and the Scarlet Witch have always been kind of a not great metaphor for interracial couples, which it's not good it's not good you can just have an actual interracial couple it's one of those things where the metaphor is not only not very good it also kind of actively detracts from the message you're trying to send also it doesn't work because you know wanda's a minority on a few levels she well i don't like it as a metaphor when you try to make it one-on-one -on -one a metaphor for race in america hmm. But using the suburbs, especially the suburbs in the 1950s and 60s, as an entry point for talking about the desire to be normal and the desire to fit in and falling short of that desire, that as an analogy works really well for me because that's, I mean, Tim Burton based his entire oeuvre on that very thing. And honestly, there I, I talk a lot about it being bad, but there are some interesting ideas that were not really fleshed out because they were all written by, you know, white dudes in their 40s in the 70s and 80s. But there are some interesting ideas about how these sort of things layer, for example, onto, say, queer interracial relationships mm -hmm. and how sort of Wanda's status as a mutant shifts people's perception of her relationship with the vision yes so there is a knock at the door and i don't we didn't talk ahead of time we didn't talk about anything ahead of time we just decided to do a podcast and jumped in we just jumped in so the identity of the person at the door is probably the most spoilery thing we're going to say and we're just assuming this could be a mislead this could very easily be a mislead but the character at the door is Agnes. Yes, played by Catherine Hahn. 
played by Katherine Hahn. And based on her appearances in the previews and the fact that her character is named Agnes here, we are all making the assumption that she is, in fact, Agatha Harkness. Who is the woman who taught Wanda magic. She's a witch character who's sort of in the background of a lot of Marvel stuff. I love her. She's a very bizarre character who kind of shifts the, uh, I don't want to say premise, the subgenre. Yeah, she she shifts the genre of the story because she is a witch in like the classic crone witch mold. Her showing up and teaching Wanda magic shifts it from a superhero story to a fantasy, maybe even a fairy tale story. Uh, I was going to say a horror story. There's kind of a layer of old EC comics on Agatha. Mm, that as well. She uh, And it, it is sort of hokey Halloween scary. She is, like you said, she's a classical witch. She has the black cat. She's drawn as roughly 11 million years old. I get why they didn't do that, you know, for this. They needed and Catherine and Catherine Hahn is so great in this role. But we're assuming that this is going to be Agatha Harkness because she's a big part of Wanda's story. We know Wanda's going to be in the next Doctor Strange movie. Agatha is the one who taught her actual magic instead of her mutant ability, which was basically just casting spells by accident. Yeah. Yeah, so we are going to be talking about these first two episodes, at least. We'll see if our ideas change. But we're going to be talking about these first two episodes, at least, under the assumption that Catherine Hahn is Agatha Harkness. She's credited, by the way, in the credits as Nosy Neighbor. Hmm. 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 Interesting. Because the character has a name. Well, that's another thing. From the trailer, we know that... The characters in the suburbs don't reoccur. So the characters in this TV show, whatever, however you want to describe it, don't appear when the TV show shifts to a different show. Like, it's different actors. So, but we know Catherine Hahn stays. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, Emma Caulfield appears in the second episode, but the character she plays, Dottie, doesn't appear in any other episodes. From the first two. We... Right. Is the boss someone different? Is his best friend? Do they change Norms? Because Norm's in the first episode. And Norm second. is in the first two episodes, but I think he doesn't appear in any others. The boss is in this episode, in this episode only. Uh, Deborah Jo Rump, who plays his wife, is only in the first two episodes. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, to be fair, we don't know if Norm appears in any later episodes. Right. Because only two have aired so far. So, well, I, I'm going, I'm basing this off of IMDb listing them and saying X many episodes. Oh. Yeah. Really? IMDb does that? Yeah. So Agnes has come to welcome Wanda to the neighborhood. She, uh, she has a lot of really solid, who, who is the, uh, like, it's different because Agnes is married, but who is the single girl in Dick Van Dyke's office? Yes. And, um, yeah, she's got a real Rosemary vibe. Rosemary is the actress. The character's name was Sally Rogers. Hmm. But yeah, she's got that sort of rapid fire, like kind of half self-deprecating, laughing at her own jokes energy. Yeah, when she's also got that kind of woman who's like a real pistol. Yeah. And in the 1950s was probably coded lesbian. She has a kooky energy about her. Yes. Interestingly... She mentions a husband, she mentions a mother-in-law, but I don't think we see her husband. I'm almost certain we don't see him. No, no. He gets mentioned in both episodes, but we don't see him. Hmm. So she and, and Wanda have their little rapport, and she points out when Wanda says that she's married, she points out that Wanda doesn't have a ring, which seems to surprise her. Yeah, Wanda- Surprise Wanda. Yeah, Wanda did not realize that she didn't have a ring. And she, uh, she tells Agatha, that, sorry, Agnes, that despite not having a ring, she is married to a man, a human man, a regular human man. And she says that tonight's a special occasion for them, but it's not a birthday and it's not a holiday, so it must be an anniversary. And 
Agnes asks her, oh, how long have you been together? And she's like, it feels like we've been together forever, which is not a real answer. Yeah, honestly, the fact that Agnes accepts that answer should clue everyone in that there's something up with Agnes. (laughs) And she offers to help Wanda out with her anniversary by sharing this magazine article she just read called How to Treat Your Husband to Keep Your Husband. This reminds me of a lot of bits in the Mary Tyler Moore show. I didn't watch a ton of the Dick Van Dyke show, but there is a lot of Rhoda talking about titles of TV shows she wanted to watch or magazines that she was reading, and they all had stuff like that. Yes. We go from there to Vision at the office. And speaking of Mary Tyler Moore, the office that the Vision works in looks like... It looks like Mary and uh, Murray's desks. Yeah, it looks like Mary's workstation in the Mary Tyler Moore show. They've got the Vision next to Norm, the guy he's interacting with. And... His snarky work friend. And there's no connection here as far as I know, but I did notice when I was rereading Vision and the Scarlet Witch, A Year in the Life, that the realtor who sells them their house and then kind of becomes an ally to them is named Norm. Fun fact, that guy ends up uh, sleeping with Crystal and breaking up uh, her marriage to Quicksilver. Oh, good. So he's he's helpful all around. <laughs> Someone pointed out that this would actually be a really good way to backdoor the Inhumans into the MCU. Of yeah. course, I think that would require a little bit of a soft reboot. I think that's okay, because I don't think anybody remembers the Inhumans TV show. Yes, in A Year in the Life, Quicksilver is not around because he's on the moon with his Inhuman wife. Yeah. Like, like you do. <laughs> Whenever people talk about how, oh, Wanda's, uh, Wanda had to have her kids with uh, with Pietro because, look, Tommy has white hair and super speed and the Vision can't get her pregnant. He's a robot. And I'm like, Pietro was literally on the moon Pietro with was- Steve. I was on the moon with Steve. That's a, uh, that's a Eddie Izzard reference. Ah. But yes, he was literally not on the same planet as Wanda, who literally used magic to get pregnant. Like, people act like it's a plot hole. Oh, how'd she get pregnant? She used magic. She's a witch. Magic. She channeled the energy of 665 New Salem witches into her uterus. Why is that so hard (laughs) to understand? Yeah. Comics are weird, and they were really weird in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. I do love how she got pregnant through a botched human sacrifice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She was the one who was meant to be sacrificed, but... She reversed it. And she, she reversed the polarity of the sacrifice, and now she's pregnant. As one does. As one does. So, the Vision has finished up all of his work in record time. Yes, but he's not a computer or a machine. He's a regular human man, he insists. Yes. He hands the co-worker a stack of collated forms, and he's like... So what is it exactly we do here? What is this company? And the guy's like, we collate forms. It's what we do here. They compute forms. It's compute, a yeah. it's a computational company. They computate forms that are used for computating. To be fair, Vision is like, but that's weird, right? Shouldn't a business do something? To be fair, I have had a couple of office jobs that were basically this. Yeah, I mean, this is supposed to be part of the sinister, eerie thing here, where what is this job that just involves shuffling paper back and forth? But yeah, as you say, welcome to capitalism. Which is basically what Norm says when the vision's like, I I'm know what I'm doing, but I don't know why I'm doing it. And Norm's like, yeah, that that's what having a job is. God. I want to point out Norm is also playing the radio while he's working, and he's playing the song Yakety Yak. And he asks the Vision if it's bothering him, and the Vision says, do you mean, is it disrupting my work? Or do the inane lyrics hurt my heart? And he's like, the first one, and he's like, nope, it's fine. (laughs) By the way, I'm going back and forth between calling him Vision and The Vision. I do that too. I feel like it's one of those things that's cool, unlike calling Batman The Batman, which is the... I know a lot of people do it, but I'm sorry, I just think it's stupid. He's just Batman. It's fine. But yeah, Vision, the Vision. It's like Janet Van Dyne. She is she the Wasp or is she Wasp? Okay. All right. 
So I'm, I guess then I will continue to go back and forth between calling him the Vision or Vision. Yes. So the Vision's boss comes out of his office, mm-hmm. which is Lou Grant's office, but, you know, he's there. Yes. And he's like, I hope you have a good dinner planned for me because the last person who invited me to dinner was very disappointing and he lists the super fancy meal the guy made as the guy is holding a box and crying in the corner because yeah he's been fired because he had a subpar dinner party Uh, the boss's name by the way is mr hart which is why there is a heart drawn on the calendar Mm. yes so back at wanda and vision's place agnes is trying to help wanda get ready to set the mood for her anniversary, but they don't have a song. And they don't have any records. And Agnes is like, it's fine, I'll loan you some records. I'm sorry, I keep thinking about that joke you made about Agatha Harkness calling Wanda in the uh, in in the in the miniseries. Agatha, are you in danger? No, don't worry, it's fine. I'm dead. Yes. So Vision calls Wanda, and we get one of those 1950s misunderstanding conversations where he's talking about dinner with the boss, and she thinks they're talking about super sexy anniversary times. Mm -hmm. And he's like, this is the most important thing ever. If it doesn't go off without a hitch, it's all over. And he means he'll be fired. And she's like, I think you're a little high strung right now. It's just one night of boning. (laughs) But they both think that they're on the same page. God, I love it. He's like, okay, so when tonight comes, I will do my best to impress the wife because they're having dinner with his boss and his boss's wife. And Wanda's like, and I'll do my best to impress the husband talking about vision. And Agatha does this like super exaggerated wink while holding a martini. And my God, I love Catherine Hahn so much. <laughs> and she's kind of a different take on Agatha Harkness if she's Agatha Harkness, but... You know what? I am all in. I am too. So it is unclear after two episodes what it is that has caused Wanda and Vision to be trapped in this sitcom world. And of course, some people assume that it is Agnes who is Agatha Harkness who has trapped them. I personally think that Wanda has placed them there herself. That's my theory. But Agnes is so much fun and so charming. If she trapped me in a 1950s sitcom and we got to hang out all day, I can't say I'd be that mad. Yeah, yeah. Especially if I was trapped with you, my husband. That'd be fun. Yeah. Which? Maybe not for you. You'd have to go to the computational store and compute all day. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, by some people you mean me. My main theory for the show so far even despite some of the stuff we've seen in the trailers, is that this is something Agatha has built around Wanda to teach Wanda how to use magic. Yes. That is my go-to theory. It's probably not right, but, you know, you gotta swing for the fences or whatever. Um, My secondary, uh, the secondary theory, which I share with you, is that, yes, this is something Wanda has enclosed herself in to try to bring the vision back. And honestly, I feel like the biggest thing that might lean into that being what's going on is if we see Pietro. Mm. Yes. Because unlike in the comics, Pietro basically died in his first appearance in the MCU of Wanda's brother, Quicksilver. Which is wild to me because... So, remember, we had two movies come out at the same time that had their take on Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Because there is... Equal claim on them by the X-Men and by the Avengers. Yes, they they uh, first appeared as X-Men characters, uh, and but they were only in there for like, I think, 10 issues, if that, before they became Avengers characters. And they are mutants. They are mutants sometimes. So, but my point is, in the X-Men movie that used them, which had that Quicksilver scene that everybody loved. Yeah. Wanda isn't even really a character. She's a she's a small child and is not really brought in. She's actually not. Uh, the small child is not actually Wanda. In a cut scene, the little girl is having an argument with the mom and uh, she tells her to leave her big sister alone. And the little sister says she's always bothering me. Okay. So I guess it's implied that that's Lorna and Lorna might be a Maximoff in that. I, I don't know, but... Okay, I... 
that doesn't change my point. Yeah. <laughs> Which is that then in the MCU movie, Quicksilver dies in his first appearance. And in my mind, in the comics, they are so intrinsically a pair that the idea that in both of their movie appearances, the choice was made for them to work solo blows my mind. Well, it's basically the MCU got Wanda and uh, Fox <laughs> X-Men got Pietro. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is what happened. Commercial break. Commercial break. Okay. Not not us. We're not going to commercial break. The TV show is going to commercial break. For, and I think this is an important thing because it is a running thing in basically all Vision, Scarlet Witch, even just Vision stuff. Like the Vision miniseries plays heavily on a joke Wanda tells about the Vision being a toaster. Yes. It is a commercial for a toaster and it is perfect it's like the perfect amount of unsettling, but exactly Plot. right. Yeah, this feels like a plausible commercial from this time period, but the pauses are just a little bit too long, and the shots linger just a little bit too much. It is so perfectly timed. Now, before we talk about the commercial proper, mm -hmm. I want to talk about the fact that what we have is a spokesman standing behind a counter where there is a toaster displayed. And behind him are gelatin molds. I was recently in a conversation online with somebody who was asking about the lobster-shaped gelatin mold that shows up on a lot of TV shows. For some reason, that lobster mold was super popular. And if you start paying attention to old TV shows, even, even as recent as the 80s, you'll see this copper lobster hanging on the wall. And you'll notice it because it's usually hung claws down. And it's, if you don't know it's a lobster, you might wonder why that not safe for work thing is hanging on the wall. But no, it is a lobster. Hmm. And it is a gelatin mold that was used to make lobster gelatin perfection salad. I, I want to bring up perfection salad because it feels really relevant to this show. Perfection salad was this fad in the 50s and 60s where you would take gelatin, not sweet gelatin, just gelatin. Savory gelatin. Yes. Although this... I did see one recipe that used lime gelatin. That, that's not the point. You would take gelatin and you would put lettuce and salad fixings and meat and everything in the gelatin and, and you would mold it so that then you could cut perfect slices of lettuce. It was called perfection salad. And I, I mean, I'm sure these molds are just here because that's what they had in the background of essentially every TV show. But it also feels a lot to me like what the world that they are trapped in is. It is a perfection salad that they have been, you know, jellied Suspended into. into. Yeah. 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 Huh. yeah. But this is a toaster commercial. <laughs> yes, this is a commercial for a toaster. Yes. Uh, is your husband tired of you burning his toast? Oh, my God. You could do like... A thesis paper on super abusive coffee commercials that of you... Of course, that's the first commercial I thought of. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you, you get... It... I just... Yes, it brings to mind that one coffee commercial where the husband is spanking the wife because her coffee is so bad. Uh, which, I, I was about to say, most of those commercials, if you, you can watch them on YouTube, they feel like they start seconds before spousal abuse. Yeah, it's... And in some cases, after. It's disturbing it's unsettling uh also this toaster according to the spokesman the, the the toaster that you should get because it's gonna make your husband happy the toast mate is an amazing toaster that can make meatloaf and pie and open face cheese sandwiches i I, I emphasize that he says open-faced cheese sandwiches because you legit can make grilled cheese in a toaster. But open-faced cheese sandwiches is probably asking for, for a lot. Yes. And everything is in black and white except for the status light on the toaster, which is flashing red. Mm. 
there's just this great moment where they're waiting for the toast to be done, and this is the sort of thing that you wouldn't normally have in a commercial. There's just a pause as the uh, the woman in the commercial is looking kind of dead at the camera, and she just kind of tilts her head a little bit to one side as it dings. And she looks really, she, she looks very uncomfortable, by the way, the housewife model here. Yes. And we are then informed that this is the toast mate from Stark Industries. Mm. Mm. We come back from commercial mm-hmm. with Vision bringing home his boss, Mr. Hart, and Mr. Hart's wife. And, of course, all the lights are out and the candles are lit. And Mrs. Hart says, ooh, how atmospheric. And Wanda comes out in a long Fredericks of Hollywood robe with, like, the fur on the cuffs. It's, it looks great. But she sneaks up behind Mr. Hart thinking he's Vision and puts her hands over his eyes. And she's like, whose wife is it behind you? Vision covers by saying that this is the traditional Slovakian greeting. Slovakia is the fake country that they made up for Wanda to be from because I guess they didn't want to do the whole Mount Wendegore thing. But yes, uh, he says that this is a Slovakian greeting and that her outfit, her her negligee is a Slovakian dress. And he pulls Wanda into the kitchen to uh, debrief her and let her know that the heart was an abbreviation for the hearts coming to dinner. And Mr. Hart, as as uh, as Vision is taking Wanda to the kitchen, he, he goes to his wife, goes over to his wife, and he's like, "Ah, Europeans." He says Bolsheviks. Bolsheviks. Because it's the Red Scare. Yes. And thank God they're not having Elizabeth Olsen do that awful, vague Eastern European voice she had for like the first and part of the second Avengers movie that she was in. She wasn't in the first Avengers movie, but yeah. Wanda uses magic to change her dress into an appropriate housewife 50s dress. Mm -hmm. And in the living room, Vision is entertaining the hearts. Mr. Hart is talking about business and Vision still doesn't have a handle on what it is they do. And Mrs. Hart is kind of sitting in the corner of the couch looking off to the side. It's, again, very unsettling. And it makes sense in these TV shows. I feel like the wives were kind of just there, but normally she wouldn't be in the shot. Hmm. So her sitting there kind of with nothing to do, gazing off into the middle distance, is unsettling because she shouldn't be included in the shot or she should be given something to do. Yeah, it, it's like when they have those sort of fill-in people for, you know, obviously they don't have all of the Friends actors, so they have some of them just partially off screen. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you get... Body doubles. It, well, if you get different releases where the frame rate, uh, the f- framing is different, sometimes you can see them. Yeah, when they went from standard to uh, to widescreen, even though it wasn't originally intended to be shown in widescreen. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's things where you can just catch them using stand-in actors. There's just a great bit where Wanda's in the kitchen and Agnes comes in and Agnes is like, uh, I'm glad I could be of service. I mean, after all, what kind of housewife doesn't have a ready, uh, ready-to-make ready meal for five just sitting in her icebox? Yes, she's brought Wanda all of the food. And Wanda is using magic to cook, as in, like, she's flying the pots around and, like, Flying the food around. She it's... forces Agnes out first. Yes, yes. Agnes wants to stick around and help, but Wanda is very firm that this is something she wants to do herself. She physically has to push Agnes out the back door, and then she starts magically cooking. Oh, what I thought was significant is that she is using magic to manipulate the the pots and the pans and the food, but not to just zap up a meal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a limit on her abilities or a limit on what she's willing to do or a limit on what she can do within the construct of the sitcom she's in. Yeah. Like, she can't have a solution because if she had a solution, then there would be no antics. Like, like Mrs. Hart wanting to help and opening the divider between the kitchen and the living room and seeing all of the floating food. Okay, okay, so 
This is so well done. The physicality of Mrs. Hart running across the room, the way she sort of is hopping and she has her hands up in this very kind of delicate staged pose. Mm-hmm. It really sells it as uh, as this as a performance, right? The the kind a kind of black and white sitcom performance. Yeah, like you have to act big to stand out. Yeah, yeah. And she opens the divider, but Vision distracts her and Mr. Hart from seeing what's going on in the kitchen by bursting out into the song Yakety Yak. Yes. Paul Bettany's great for this. He's uh, he's pulling some from Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, I, he honestly is doing like, it, it's not period appropriate, but he's kind of doing a Hugh Grant awkward thing here that is working for him. Yeah, he's he's not... Totally Dick Van Dyke. He has more of a British charm than a the very American charm of Dick Van Dyke. Yes. Are you saying that Dick Van Dyke wasn't believable as Cockney and Mary Poppins? Oh, heaven forfend. <laughs> oh. In the kitchen, Wanda uses her magic to try to cook the chicken, but she burns it. So she tries to go back and turns it into eggs. I think it's really cute. Yeah, she's like, oh no, too much. And then she's absolutely kidding. Oh no, not enough. In the living room, Vision has busted out a ukulele for a sing-along and he's singing Old MacDonald and Mrs. Hart is singing along, but now it is Mr. Hart who is off to the side and unwilling to participate in the sing-along because the male and female spheres are so delineated amongst them that he can't participate in a sing-along just like she can't participate in discussion of work. Mm. In the kitchen, uh, everything is going to pot. Yes, she's in the weeds, as they say in the restaurant business. And this is the thing where I was like, okay, this really feels more like Bewitched than the Dick Van Dyke show. This is a very early Bewitched. Well, I mean, because she's using magic, it inherently feels like Bewitched, but a disastrous dinner party and, like, the overflowing pots and the lobsters well, flying out the window, like, that feels more... Laura Petrie. Laura Petrie to me. Yeah. Oh, Rob! Oh, Rob! I, neither of us could do impressions. Please no. ignore that. I mean, but no one could do Oh Rob like like Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore had that perfect tremor. Yes. Apparently, she was very difficult to work with in real life. Oh, I don't want to know that. Oh, sorry. She turns the world on with her smile. She does. That's true. She takes a nothing day and suddenly makes it all seem worthwhile. I mean. I mean, I don't know if it's true. She could have been. No, 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 it's fine. I, I know I know. many famous people are difficult to work with. I, that's why I'm always so pleasantly surprised when I hear someone was actually good to work with. I'll just Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. Oh, so. She was America's sweetheart for a really long time. Yes, yes, she was. Wanda gives Vision the meat tenderizer and tells him to tenderize the meat. And then she goes into the living room to entertain the hearts with her factoid that was set up earlier when Agnes was reading her the magazine article. Agnes tells her to sprinkle in facts to her husband like, did you know that married men live twice as long as single men? Mm -hmm. And Wanda repeats this factoid as, have you heard that married men are killing single men at an alarming rate? (laughs) I think that might be the line of the episode. Yes, yes, that that seems like that would be the line of the episode. <laughs> then she pretends to fall to distract the hearts from going into the kitchen, which again was from the magazine article, which suggested that you pretend to fall so that your husband has to catch you and it's all romantic. Yes. So there's a knock at the door and it's Agnes who brought a pineapple for the pineapple upside upside down cake. Yes. And Wanda just kind of slams the door in her face. She takes the pineapple and holds it behind her back and slams the door. And it's so funny because it's one of those things that absolutely happened in sitcoms. This was a thing in Bewitched all the time where you could just say what's going on. It would be so easy to just say what's happening. It would be so easy to say, oh, my neighbor brought us a pineapple for dessert. But instead, they're like, it was a man selling telegrams. 
it feels right out of one of those sitcoms. Yes. So with all of the food a mess, Wanda serves scrambled eggs and toast. Hmm. Yes. And she's like, how does everyone feel about breakfast for dinner? And the boss is really upset by this, but his wife is like, no, it's fine. It's it's fine. It's, it's European. It's European. And listen, obviously, breakfast for dinner was not a widely loved thing in the 1950s and 60s. But you know what is great? Breakfast for dinner. It is true. And then we have a moment where the show goes from like a sinister undercurrent to a sinister overcurrent. The boss starts asking them questions. He's like, so uh, when did you get married? Why did you move to town? And Wand and the Vision don't really remember. They, they, they have knowledge of coming to town, but they don't really know where they were before this. And they don't know when they met. They don't know how long they've been married. And the scene kind of slows down around it. The lighting kind of dims a little bit. Yes, the lighting definitely dims, and Mr. Hart gets more and more angry that they won't tell them what their story is, what their story is. And then he starts to choke on his food, and there is this so eerie moment where his wife is just jokingly telling him over and over, oh, stop it. Oh, stop it. Well, he is choking to death. The lights dim behind her so that we just see her face illuminated. Mr. Hart falls on the ground and the camera does a Twilight Zone style Dutch angle at him. Wanda eerily looks up at Vision and says, Vision, help him. Okay, this is great because she's been doing a Laura Petrie kind of affect the whole episode. And she just drops it here for the one line where she just says, Vision, help him. And he uses his powers. He he goes insubstantial and reaches into his esophagus and pulls out the chunk of food that he was choking on. And then the scene kind of resets. The lighting goes back to normal. The boss gets up, he takes his wife, and they talk about what a wonderful time they've had. But also, oh, look at the time. It's time to go. Even though we've been watching this dinner in real time. Yeah. And... We kind of overlooked it, but one of the questions was, when are you planning on having children? Yes, you're right. I'm sorry, that was very important. I mean, I assume it's important because it's important in the comic A Year in the Life. Yes, A Year in the Life is the comic where Wanda Maximoff gets pregnant and has twins... Which has so, so, so many consequences later. Like, literally the last 30 years of comics, basically. Yes. You know what? I'll say just around 20. The last 20 years of comics or so are based around Wanda getting pregnant and having kids in this one storyline. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, Wow. So we're back to a sitcom. Everybody's happy. Everything's been resolved the way it is at the end of a sitcom. Mrs. Hart says goodbye to Wanda by putting her hands over Wanda's eyes. <laughs> like like Wanda did to her husband at the beginning of the episode. It's how, or at the beginning of the dinner party. Yeah, she's she's saying goodbye in this Lakovian manner. And she's like, the guest is leaving the party. And she laughs. They got the... Um, they got the actress who played Kitty, uh, Kitty Foreman, the the mom on that '70s show, Deborah Jo Rupp, and she's just perfect. She's amazing. And Mr. Hart tells Vision that he's definitely going to put him in for that promotion, which up until this moment has not been a stated goal. Yeah, in fact, when they were at the office. The point of this dinner party was that it was something he did for all of his new employees. Whenever he hired someone, he would have dinner at their house to make sure that they were a fine, upstanding citizen or else they would lose their job. Mm-hmm. So this promotion thing is just introduced in this scene. Yes. And now it's time for the wrap up where Wanda and the Vision sit down on the couch together and Worry about the fact that they don't have a song or an anniversary or wedding rings. And the Vision's like, well, we are, we are a very strange couple, Wanda. And Wanda's like, I suppose we are. And he says, today can be our anniversary. And our song can be Yakety Yak. And 
you can make rings for us. And they both hold out their left hand and she magics up rings for them. And they both say, I do. And it's treated as a really sweet and heartwarming moment. And my heart was warmed, but my spine was chilled. Like, Wanda magicking up those rings felt so ominous to me, despite how romantic it also was. Yeah. And she she looks at Vision and she says, and they all lived happily ever after. And then she touches foreheads with Vision and then they both turn to the camera and smile. He takes, he picks up the remote with his hand that he has around Wanda's arm and clicks the remote and the camera zooms out so that we are now watching the closing credits roll over them on a television that is being watched by someone in color in a room, in like a control room. Okay, I just want to point this out because I feel like something that happens in the second episode will make this relevant. It, it's a it's a hexagon. Oh yes the the screen wipe is a hexagon wipe. Yeah, it, it, like it it irises down to a hexagon. Which you know what that reminds me of? What does that remind you of? Honeycomb. Ah. Interesting. Yes, we'll talk about that in the next episode, which will be immediately after this one in the feed, since they both got released at the same time, even though we won't record it until tomorrow night. Yes. And when I say this is a control room, by the way, I looking at it, looking at what we can see, it's there's a there's a notebook with a sim, with a symbol on it. I don't know what that symbol is. Does that mean anything to you? The little sword thing. Oh, is that a sword? Oh, it's sword, like sword as. The, the aggressive arm of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think, yeah, I think that might be it. There's a few things it could be. I really should know this. I should be more up on my Marvel lore. But, yeah, and that sword will appear in the next episode. Too. Oh, and I see now that there is also a sword kind of as a, as a little watermark on one of the computer screens. Hmm. But there's also a sound mixer. There are also audio-visual mixers here, as though the person in this room is not just watching, but controlling what is happening. Oh, see, I thought they were things to, like, get on the right frequency. No, no, this is a sound mixing board. Ah. Yeah. So, outer limits, you know, we are, we are, we control the horizontal, we control the vertical. Yeah. So that is episode one of WandaVision. God, this is such a good show. It's so intriguing, and I really like how this, weird, weirdly enough, by trapping them in this very specific genre, they were allowed to sort of have more character development and more chances for intimate acting than they have, you know, had in the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general. Well... Superhero stories cover a wide range of story types. A lot of different plots are explored through the lens of superhero stories. And I feel like when that gets translated to film, only the action stuff really gets translated. We never get, you know, the school stories or the, like, superheroes at the mall stories or the... The horror stories. Or the horror stories. Like, there's a lot of Vision stuff that is directly straight-up horror, and honestly, Scarlet Witch stuff, too. They're both from relatively... Horrific genres? Yeah, I was going to say horror-friendly genres. You can... Fantasy goes into horror pretty smoothly, and so does sci-fi. Although sci-fi tends to be hokier, but, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that we're exploring something other than... Fisticuffs. Yellow spandex. So, uh, as I said earlier, we literally discussed nothing. We just sat down and started recording. Did you have any ideas for segments or things like that? I I didn't. I didn't. I think... uh... I was thinking, since I'm more of an old television person, and you're more of an old comics person than I am, Hmm. uh, maybe we could do... We could each say our favorite Easter egg from old TV and old comics, respectively. Okay, so my big ones in the next uh, in the next episode, actually. Ah, yes. But this is actually a parallel I saw somewhere else, but I do want to bring it up. It's not calling back to old comics, but actually to the MCU movie. Mm-hmm. Specifically, uh, 
Infinity War. Okay. Infinity War gets two references in short order. When Wanda's flying a plate across the room, Vision says, ah, my wife, you know, and her flying saucers, which is a reference to her taking down the two alien motherships. Oh! In a... I didn't even I didn't even make that connection that that was a reference to that. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't until someone put a gift set of you know her taking down the two saucer shaped ships. Yeah, it just seemed like a little pun, but of course, Wanda and her flying saucers. And Wanda says, "My husband and his invincible head." And of course, Thanos killed the Vision by crushing his head and pulling out the Infinity Gem. Oh. So wow. Like, so I was like, oh, that's that's a really subtle reference to that movie that I don't think anyone considered all that carefully after. Yeah, everyone was hyped. Everyone liked it. I, wow. That's okay. I, wow. I didn't even make that connection, even though obviously I've seen that movie. Wow. I mean, I wouldn't have either if somebody hadn't posted the gifts of, you know, him having his head crushed right next to her saying that. Yeah. Um, my favorite TV moment, uh, was one that I already called out, which is the vision walking through the chair yeah, instead the, the, of tripping the over the ottoman. That, yeah. Oh, also a little side note, Westview, I'm assuming is a takeoff of Westport, the actual town in which, uh, Bewitch takes place. Oh! Which, which is a real place, uh, in Connecticut. It's a super rich town. The thing is... In Bewitched, they almost exclusively refer to uh, where they live by the neighborhood name. Right, Morning Glory Circle. Yeah, so it's easy to miss that the town that it takes place in is Westport, at least according to the Bewitched wiki, and why would they lie? Yeah, I really like this show. If you haven't seen it, it's really well worth checking out. Yeah, Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Uh, I... Don't like shilling for the mouse. It's the giant company that owns everything now. We're all what are a, you going to do? We're all in a dystopia. Let's watch a TV show about TV shows. I will say one of the things I like about Netflix is that it feels like creators who work with Netflix kind of get the freedom to do offbeat things that they wouldn't normally have a place to do them. Like Andy Samberg's visual poem, the, the Bash Brothers thing. Right. Which is amazing, but I don't know how you would describe it to someone, let alone sell it. Or John Mulaney and the Sack Bunch Lunch. Yes, yes, the Sack Lunch Bunch. Sack Lunch Bunch, yeah. Yeah, Um. Oh, this feels like this to me. This feels like Disney Plus realizing we can make something strange and we can, we, we don't have to be tied to what's most marketable even though ironically then i think doing that they've made something that's very marketable because i feel like it appeals to a wide swath of audiences people who like superhero movies people who maybe like old sitcoms people who are into eerie horror anthology types shows it it is very at this point i I know the first episode is dick van dyke but the whole thing thus far has a very bewitched by way of twilight zone feel which I'm sure it will move away from later as we find out more stuff. Um, I'm not looking forward to it probably being more of a standard superhero thing because that's definitely where I feel like it's going to end. Oh, well, let's not, let's not, let's not buy that problem. That's, that's weeks from now. <laughs> yes. But in the meantime, could not recommend this more. Really, really into it. God, I'm glad these actors are getting to stretch their legs and I hope that this, A, I hope this does well, which I think it will because uh, the the app was super loggy, logy when we were watching it. And that usually means that a bunch of people are using it at once. Yes. So, so hopefully this is a big thing because honestly, I'd love to see more experimentation from the MCU. They know at this point, I mean, Inhumans aside, you get a good creative team. Just let them do whatever they want. Everyone loved Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Yeah. People liked Guardians of the Galaxy, which was another kind of offbeat one. Yeah. Like, you don't need Marvel movies or Marvel Marvel cinematic properties. They don't need to follow this very standard script. You can go off that. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, also, as long as you're in the Disney Plus app... If you haven't watched Agent Carter, give that a watch, too. It's amazing. It is good. So I guess that's going to do it for us for right now. Although, if you look in your feed, episode two should be out as well. Also, I'm dropping both of these episodes into our normal podcast feeds. Our 
welcome to the Uncharted Territories and our welcome to Hollowell Manor feeds, but I will also be creating a new feed for them. Mm. But also, I'm going to put all 12 episodes in all three feeds, so you don't have to subscribe if you don't want to. Yeah. But you're welcome to. Yes. So, until you click on episode two. Yeah, that'll about do it for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Westview.